welcome to the Truth 316 Podcast, the place that we honor that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Our prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Welcome back to True 316, and we are continuing our look at the Bible's divine origin uh, in regard to the uncompromising Word of God, and that Word of God has its source in God, and so we uh, take a deeper look at an eternal and pre-existent God who is the creator of all things, all of the universe, all heavenly and earthly beings. And with mankind as the only earthly being that is stamped with God's image and is also given the responsibility to have dominion over the rest of creation. So this time we're going to take a look at the nature of God. The study of God is called theology, theo for God. And theology we say sometimes is a study of, but it actually has its root in the word logos, which stands for word, as in in the beginning was the Logos, or the Word of God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God from the Gospel of John in chapter 1. But in this series, we've shown so far that the Bible is indeed the revelation of God. It's how God communicates with us. If you remember from the book of Hebrews, uh, the very first chapter, it says that in the beginning God spoke uh, to his people, uh, first of all, directly with his own voice, but also by the prophets in particular in chapter one there. But in these latter days, he speaks to us by his son, which uh, is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles and all those who spoke under the inspiration of God. That is by the very breath of God, his word is communicated to us. And then that canon was closed after the death of the apostles and their first contact. So we have... Uh, our study in theology, we have to continue to use the scriptures because it's the scriptures that is God's testimony of himself. That, you know, when the authors write an autobiography, for example, we would expect that the author knows the most about his own self, <laughs> right, and his communication with others. And so we have to allow the author to define his own terms. And of course, with God, it is no different. We have to let God speak through his scriptures to define terms for us and to set the course of morality. And of course, theology is always concerned with the human response to God's word. So it's completely necessary for us to accept his revelation. God speaks his word, and we are to receive it as such. Uh, we had said before also that truth is sourced in God, and truth is only found in the proper interpretation of the scriptures. So this is a special revelation about God and his character and how he's interacting with his people, of course. Uh, we also know that truth can be made manifest in just general revelation, that is that he is the creator of all things, like we spoke of earlier in this series. The highest manifestation of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Colossians that Jesus is the expressed image of God. That means that he is, as God in the flesh, 
He has all of the nature of God, and all of the things that he speaks are consistent with the Father. God, uh, as we examine him, is a non-created being. That means that he has a seity or a seity. That is that he has being in and of himself. He is self-existent as the creator of all things, that he creates the universe. He created space, created time. Those two actually go together. It should be called space-time. He creates all life. But the high revelation for man is that God created us for a reason. If we just go back to the beginning chapter of Genesis uh, 1 there, it says that God said, let us make man in our image. And then he says, and then let's let them have dominion over the rest of creation. So man is created in the image of God and is given dominion over the rest of creation. God also desires relationship. So if we look at Exodus chapter 19, for example, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So what is he doing here? He is forming a covenant with a particular people. And he says, if you'll indeed obey my voice, these are the people that he called the Israelites in this circumstance here, then you will be a special treasure unto me above all the other people of the earth. Why? Because all the earth belongs to the Lord. And so he can form a covenant in agreement. It's basically a marriage relationship with whomever he chooses, whom he calls to himself. God dwells with his people and he communicates with them. In Exodus chapter 25, he says that this is him, this is the Lord speaking to his people about how he wants to dwell in their midst. And he says, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. So he's talking about the ark of the covenant here uh, that's going to be placed in the tabernacle. And he says, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark and and in the ark, you shall put the testimony, which is the Ten Commandments that he's going to give them. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So he's speaking to Moses here as instruction for how the Lord is going to dwell in the midst of his people and also communicate with them. So he dwells and communicates with his people. This is what God desires to do. And of course, as it said in the previous verse, that if you uh, keep and obey his commandments, that they're going to continue to be a special people unto him. So what is what does the Lord say? He says, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you. So this is Moses uh, repeating what the Lord has commanded them, that you may observe the law all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. This is the command to obey the judgments, right? So God is giving his commands for his people to uh, reflect upon and also obey, and it's for a good reason, right? So they can be in a proper relationship with their creator. So our response to God's commands are not optional. Well, They're not optional, at least in a neutral manner, right? So any relationship outside of God's revealed parameters that he gives to us is sin. If God tells us to behave another way and we act the opposite, we call that sin. Sin is just the term that means to miss the mark of what God has told us to do. 
And so that's rebellion, right? And a rebel, by definition, is an enemy of the object of their rebellion. When you rebel against your parents, you're kind of treating your parents as an enemy, right? And if you rebel against what God has commanded, then you are acting out as an enemy of God. Sometimes we don't feel that we're enemies, but our very actions speak louder than our words sometimes, don't they? So, and this is true in our sin because of Adam and Eve, the Bible shows us that we are rebels, right? Adam and Eve first rebelled against the Lord and his command not to eat of the fruit, but we also have our own sin and continue that rebellion in him. So we are um, rebels against God. And what does rebellion do? Besides being an outright act against the command, that rebellion against the holy God separates us from God. God doesn't leave it there, though, does he? Right? There's a separation. And does God just leave Adam and Eve in it? No. What happens? First of all, the promise of their death um, is made manifest to them. They, they die spiritually. They're separated from God. And also, they begin their decay in the physical form, where eventually they also die physically. But the spiritual death is the main thing. And when I say our rebellion separates us from God, I'm speaking primarily from the spiritual realm, but also included in that is being in the temple in perfect union with God and in his dwelling. But God doesn't leave us there, right? He didn't leave Adam and Eve there. He provided a sacrifice, right? He clothed, when Adam and Eve clothed themselves due to their shame with fig leaves, God says, um, nope, that's not going to work. And what does he do? He clothes them with the skins of an animal, showing that there's a sacrifice that takes place. An animal has to die in order for them to be clothed. So by the shedding of blood, there's a covering for Adam and Eve. And God provides a true reconciliation for all his people through Jesus Christ, right? All who receive God's, um, the means that he set up alone for reconciliation are restored to fellowship with God. The revelation, or excuse me, the means for Adam and Eve to have reconciliation with God was the covering of an innocent animal. And for true sins to be forgiven, Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, lays down his life, pays the penalty for our wages of our sin, which is death, and we are covered. We are then forgiven of our sins and reconciled back to God as his children. So he reconciles us and he adopts us, but that's on that side of the equation. But those who continue to reject God's revelation remain rebels and remain separated from fellowship. And how do they stand before the judge? Guilty. So rebellion and remaining in that state, you stand condemned before your judge. Okay. So what is theology anyways? Well, true theology, as we said, is the study of God, but it's true theology is the study of the one true God, which means that we have to be speaking of biblical and Christian theology. That's the source because it is God manifest in Jesus Christ whom he sent. And that is critical to our stance if we're going to be consistent with the Bible. So we have to take the entirety of the Bible, that is the whole counsel of God, to understand his truth. 
And when you're dealing with Christianity, the whole Bible, the whole Bible really, even including the Old Testament in particular, if we are going to look back at that, reveals Christ. It's Christ hidden in these things. They're called shadows of things to come, just as the lamb that was sacrificed or the animal that was sacrificed on behalf of Adam and Eve. Jesus Christ is the true lamb that is unblemished and without spot that is sacrificed for mankind that would believe in that free offer right to whom the lord calls so yeah the scriptures are both old and new testament combined that's good christian theology so when we say christian theology we're not just talking about the new testament it's the entirety of scripture jesus is himself is the one that put it to us this way that made that made it so clear after his resurrection he was walking on that Emmaus road in uh, in Luke 24 with a couple of his disciples and what does he do he says to them because remember they were all distraught that he had that Jesus had gone to the cross and um they are planning on him being the messiah but it doesn't turn out that way in their eyes because they know that he was dead and buried but there they have in their midst they don't recognize it at this very moment but the Lord Jesus Christ raised, right, in his new flesh, uh, his resurrected flesh body. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken to you. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? So what does he do? Um, with a compassionate heart, he's calling them foolish ones, but he's doing it in a tender, loving way. But why is that? Why is he calling them foolish ones? Because he had expressed um, to him exactly what his destiny was, was to go and die at the hands of, of sinful man. But not only that, he's pointing them back to the scriptures and saying, listen, these were all written, written for you. And he's talking about the Old Testament here. All the scriptures were written for the benefit of, of you to understand that they are pointing to me. And what does he do? It says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus claims that the entirety of scripture is about him. Well, why does he do that? And how is that even possible? Why? Well, because he is God, right? He's truly God, truly man, and he says to them in another occasion on the scriptures that um, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So as we said earlier, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, all the goodness of God truly dwells, right? So Jesus, because he is God and because the Bible is the revelation of God, therefore the whole thing must be about him. So to study Christ, you have to go further than just the New Testament, right? Because there's more that's being expressed, more that's being set up, more that's explaining his character and what he's come to accomplish. So it's this study of Jesus Christ that is true and ultimate theology. So if this is the case, what is our proper response to be? Right. Well, how about let's just talk to you for a second here. Do you want to know God? Well, if the answer is yes, then you have to get in the Bible, right? The entirety of the scripture, Old and New Testament, it's all about him. So, you say, ah, you know, I love God, but I don't want to 
you know, spend a lot of time reading the Bible. It's too complicated. Well, you can't really do that, right? Because how can you say that you love God, but then ignore his word, his revelation to you? There's a big problem here. So how can you love something first that you don't truly understand? And second, how how do you express love if you don't have a um, a desire for deeper understanding of that? That doesn't work in a relationship with your spouse, does it? Or within the family, if you want deep relationships, you have to be able to communicate. You have to know more about that being. And here it is exactly the same thing. So um, I'm not giving you a leg to stand on if you're not going to read your scriptures. Um, but say that you still want to love and serve God. You don't know how to love him and you don't know how to serve him if, if you're not reading how to do that. Because his command is what tells us that. Uh, I don't mean to be hard on you. This is really just set up here to encourage you. As we encourage each other in the body of believers here, and I need this myself, I need sometimes I need a kick in, in the seat to do um, more of what I'm supposed to do. And other times I need a, a tender hug, but all of these things are to be edifying to the body and there's a proper time for this. So, you know what, be encouraged. And if you think it's a little bit overwhelming, just like in the manner that you have been told that you eat an elephant, how do you eat an elephant? Well, one bite at a time. So, Start in the Bible with bite-sized portions of reading, right? Um, start with something that's um, maybe a little bit easier to read. Don't try to get into the to the deep end of the pool too soon, but start with something simple. Start with the Gospel of John or start, you know, in the beginning uh, of Genesis and just read the historical narrative cases of things. But begin somewhere and it'll start to come together and when you're studying and when you're reading, this is going to breed by the Spirit of God living within you the desire for more and more knowledge. We can only love God because he first loved us, and he shows us his love through his word. So if you want to return and express proper love back to God, you must know how to properly do that, and that takes knowledge, right? Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's one of our scriptures um, that we are told to conform to, and that's knowledge of, of what he has revealed to us by his word, okay? So that's it for today. Um, I appreciate your time and look forward to speaking to you next time here on Truth 316. Have a great day. has been a Truth 316 production. More information can be found at truth316.com.